Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hi, Jen. Hello. Hi, I'm here. Jen, question for our intro. Any um, organizations that you particularly love supporting and what inspired you to support them? Uh, I, I mean, I, I support a number of nonprofits, definitely, <laughs> in my yes, time, good, good, good. things like that. Um, I don't sleep much, but I mean, I think one that's near and dear to me is Resolve. And quite honestly, I mean, I think anybody who's listened for a while would know that it's because I struggled with infertility myself. And interestingly, I did not like come across Resolve until after and then I was super conflicted about it, right? Like, I'm like, well, I don't have infertility now in that I had a child, I right? Resolved so I don't have in this. My, yeah. yeah, it's resolved. And actually, I had a really lovely conversation with Barb Kalura, and she said, it's okay to be resolved. That doesn't mean that you can't pick up the baton and keep fighting for others. And it was mm. really beautiful and motivating to me to have that, that conversation. Which um, almost feels like it has to be people like you and me fighting that fight yeah. because often when you're in it you just don't have you don't see it the bandwidth yeah. or the emotional like bandwidth to to do that fight also yeah so what about you what what makes you or what um well I love resolve as well and I know we've done a whole series about advocacy and had many mm-hmm. of the advocates advocate leaders for resolve come on but we recently had federal advocacy day and um, for those who haven't done it, I mean, for those who've done it, huge shout out. For those who haven't, really think about it for next year. It's been remote, so I don't know if next year will be remote too, but really amazing to get to talk to the people yeah. who make the laws and have those conversations directly and have really your voice empowering heard. feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. so really empowering to get your voice heard and know that that can make a, a difference. That, and you know, maybe slowly, but that one day it could make right, a right. It changes incremental sometimes. Uh, I will say that actually, our guest today to segue there, I actually met through some kind of connection with Resolve and Advocacy Day. So that's kind of why that's that's a huge deal for us. Is that also we just get to meet incredible, incredible people who have these heartbreaking and amazing stories as to why they are here. So. I say without further ado, please let us talk to Megan. Welcome, Megan Hansen, to the podcast. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks. So I'm, I was always just saying, I'm so bad at starting, but where to start? How do you introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, so um, obviously my name is Megan. I live in Seattle with my husband and my two fur babies, my dog and cat, mm-hmm. and my nine-month-old daughter who was delivered via gestational surrogate. Um, and I run a nonprofit organization called Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Association. Yeah. Um, sounds like there's a big story behind yes. all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can, you can hear the big story right there in the introduction. That is for we, sure. <laughs> we led with the wrong thing, I guess. No. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I, yeah. so, so tell us kind of what, what 
brought you here? And I mean, go go as far back as you're willing. I mean, you know, I think everybody loves the, you know, kind of like boy meet girl, you know, you know, girl and boy try to get pregnant. Oh, wait, is that, you know, like, where, where does it begin for you? Yeah. So my husband and I, um, like the, the boy, boy meets girl story goes way back. So we've actually, we met in college, um, our sophomore year of college. And well, I guess, I guess that's not true. We met our freshman year of college. We just didn't start dating until our sophomore year of college. Um, so we've been together a really long time and, um, spent our twenties really just, being young and um, working on our careers and having a lot of really great adventures together. And then we thinking you could have babies later when you felt like it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't like not even, Oh, well, we can just do this later on. But I I truly in our twenties, we we didn't feel ready, you know, that we were waiting for that moment where we're like, okay, we've, we've kind of done the things we feel like we're in a financial place where we can do this an emotional place where we can do this. And, um, so I, I think we were 32 when we, when we started. Um, okay. so we tried, we started to try to get pregnant. It happened really quickly for us. Um, oh. yeah. So like second month trying, we got right. pregnant and we were really excited and it felt like everything was just working right according to plan. Um, and then when we went in for that first eight week ultrasound, um, discovered that we had a missed miscarriage. Um, it had been a, a blighted ovum, which meant the gestational sac had developed, but the, the embryo never started developing normally. Um, and so we had had a miscarriage mm. and obviously that was devastating. Um, and, and, yeah. can I, and I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm going to ask like really personal and no, no. it may be that it makes more sense to go back a different way, but I mean, I've, I will, you know, put this out there that you have an incredible blog and I've read some of your, your blog posts and things like that, that, oh, I mean, you. do you mind talking about how that miscarriage was managed? And it may be that it's easier after you tell your whole story to talk about all of them together. But, yeah. you know, I, I think you talk about the, especially the differences in, in expectant management versus DNC yeah. and things like that. And I mean, I'd be really curious to hear your perspective on on each of your stories as to how that happened too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the, this first one, um, it, you know, I, I think that there's always this, if you've, if you've not lived in this world, I think there's sometimes this misconception that a miscarriage like happens like in the movies, right? It's somebody's asleep in the middle of the night and then they wake up and there's a pool of blood in their sheets and like the pregnancy's over. And in fairness, like sometimes it does happen like that. Like it, you sure. lose it very quickly. Um, but particularly for a, a missed miscarriage, which is what this first one was, it's, you know, my body was ticking along thinking it was still pregnant. Like it never went, it never began the process of naturally expelling that pregnancy. And, and you can wait. That's what expectant management is. Like you can just wait for that to happen, but it can take a period of weeks. And that's, that's kind of challenging, right? Like you're walking around and you're like, okay, I'm, my body's like, my body thinks it's pregnant, but it's not. I'm like sad. It's just, you're living in this really weird limbo space. There's not really a definition for it. And so, um, the other thing is, you know, this was our, our first pregnancy and it's with any pregnancy though, it's like, you really are trying to hold on to any shred of hope you can. So even though we went in and we were, we, I will say like 
I was pretty clear on the dates. But as soon as they open up and they're like, well, maybe it's just that you're earlier along than you think. Is it possible? And you start in your head being like, like yeah, I could totally justify this. Yeah, right. Exactly. So like, and they're like, well, why don't we wait two weeks and come back? And you're like, yes, yes, let's wait two weeks and come back. Like maybe a miracle will happen. Um, so it, it was about between that like eight week appointment, the two week follow up, and then the kind of management from there, it was between four and five weeks that, um, wow. in that gap, uh, and ultimately because my body never started to, um, to expel the, the pregnancy that time I opted to just have a DNC. I was like, okay. you know what, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for this. I'd rather just get this over with in my head, yeah, you know, like sure. I just want to get this over with and move in, on. Are, th- at this time, are you working? Are you telling anyone? Or are you just carrying this all on your own? You know, I, so I, w- yes, I was working. Um, and I did not tell anybody at work. Um, I mean, I, I told them that I like needed to go in for a yeah. procedure, um, but I, I wasn't at a point where I wanted to share with colleagues that like the, that I was trying to start a family. Um, sure. But I also I told all of my like close family and close friends. I'm a I'm just I'm a sharer with that kind of yeah. inner circle, and so they were all very aware of what I was going through. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you made yeah. it through number one, and. I, I mean, and I think maybe we can loop back around and talk about the differences of them because obviously we yeah, only have yeah. one under at this point. But but then, so what happened next? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some time to kind of heal. But, you know, and this is where it's like you get told this and, and, it, and it is true, you know, like you tell yourself, like this is a really sad, unfortunate and relatively common thing that happens. And so we're going to try again. Um, and so that's exactly what we did. It was like, there's, there's nothing to suggest that there was anything wrong. This was just unfortunate and we would go ahead and try again. And that's what we did. We tried again. Again, we got pregnant really quickly. Um, and we're like, great, you know, like kind of once bad luck and now everything is going to work out for us. Um, and it did not. Um, and, and what's interesting here is like, every pregnancy is different, both like the nature of how we got pregnant and then the nature of how we ultimately lost that pregnancy was really different because, um, our second pregnancy, like we saw a heartbeat. Um, it, it, I mean, it was, it's not like it was textbook up until then I had had some spotting. We went in, but like, you know, the, we did the ultrasound and it was like, Nope, there's the baby. My levels were low, but visually things looked okay. And so it was this little like, okay, well, you know, let's just hope that everything is progressing normally. Um, unfortunately that didn't happen. And that pregnancy I lost completely naturally. I never needed any type of intervention because it just, it stopped progressing and my body let go of it. And was that like the movie pool of blood waking up type miscarriage? Not really. Honestly, it was just sort of like a heavy period. I mean, it with like yeah. way more cramping, <laughs> yeah. but it, you know, it was, I will say the, the, I had, I had been spotting and kind of 
slowly, um, it, it's, it's kind of like I was spotting for days and then I had one day where largely most of it passed in it in an afternoon. Um, so I, I knew the point, it was clear to me the point that it was like, oh, okay, like this is, this is the majority of what's going to happen to me. Um, Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at that point, were you, did you go to a doctor's and were like, okay, maybe there's a cause, there's a reoccurrent issue now? I did. I mean, I did. I talked to my, at that point I was just seeing an OB. Um, I was in like an OB practice, right? So there were multiple doctors in the practice. I, and I didn't have one that was like my primary one yet because I was still like relatively new to the area. And so it's not like I had this doctor that I had been seeing for decades or anything. Um, and so I, I talked to them about it and they, the nature of the two pregnancies were, were different. And so with the first one, it was like, well, more likely than not, there was a chromosomal issue with your first pregnancy because it was, it was early. It stopped developing. It was, you know, that blighted ovum, um, with the second one, the story that they told me was like, well, your progesterone level was really low. So, you know, this is, this is no problem. Like we're just, we'll supplement you with progesterone. Like we know how to fix this problem there's nothing that's like visibly wrong with you. Like go get back on the horse kind of thing. And I don't, I mean, they, they weren't like totally dismissive, but there was never really a suggestion of, Hey, let's look at this tissue. Let's do some assessments on like what's going on with your body. Um, it was, it was, yeah, very low intervention approach. Okay. So, Uh, I mean, the, the, with the advice of get back on the horse, then (laughs) you're like, what, what then what was next? Yeah. So, I mean, that's exactly what we tried to do. We, we were like, okay, well, um, we'll, we'll keep trying. We'll try again. And so that's when, so we, we tried again and tried and tried and tried and tried. And we tried for over a year and that's oh, wow. when it was like, okay, well, now we need to seek the help of somebody else. Like maybe, maybe something has happened. Maybe something is going, going on. Um, let's go see a specialist. And so that was the point that took us to, into the world of like fertility um, treatments, fertility doctors, uh, and like much heavier science. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and was that, was that an easy next step? Did your OB say like, oh, here's the person to go to, or do you have to do a lot of research? No. And I, I honestly didn't even talk to my OB about it. It was a very, um, it was like, it was like a self-directed decision. Um, I, and I, and I started in a really, um, I started in sort of the, like the backwards place. I don't mean to say like, I, the first fertility doctor that I saw was a reproductive immunologist, which is atypical. I think people tend to get to reproductive immunology when they've tried everything else. Um, And that that happened to be where I started only because I had a family friend who um, was going through a program to become a physician's assistant. And this doctor had been one of the like professors for one of her classes. And she's like, Oh, you got to go see this doctor. She's great. And I was like, okay, cool. Like (laughs) right, (laughs) that recommendation speaks volumes. We'll start there. Um, Right. Yeah. So, so we did. And, um, 
reproductive immunology, she is also trained, this doctor was also trained as a reproductive endocrinologist, so it's not like she couldn't do some of the assessments, um, like, like the full range of assessments. And, and she did, you know, she, she tested all my hormone levels, she tested a whole range of other things related to immunology profiles, um, uh, inherited thrombophilias. Like she, she tested sort of everything that was in the standard recommended workup plus, um, a whole bunch of other things that not every doctor does. Um, the, the, there were a couple things that came back, but nothing that was, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it it was like, everything was in the middle. So it was like, Mm. okay, well you, your hormone levels are generally okay. I had sub, I would, I had what was called subclinical hypothyroidism, but that was, she was like, great. So we'll just put you on levothyroxine. I had, um, on the ultrasound, I had polycystic ovaries. And so it was like, well, you, you probably are on this, the meet some of the criteria for having PCOS, but we'll put you on metformin. We'll talk to you about diet modifications. Like all of my other things were looking okay as far as that went. So it was like these issues, but it's like, don't worry, we can medicate you for this. You know, I, um, I had like slightly higher like blood clotting times or levels or whatever it was. I forget what that marker was. And they were like, no problem. We'll just take some baby aspirin. We'll put you on Lovenox. You know, so it was all these things that was like, this isn't really an issue. Let's do this. The only thing that they found, which was required a more intense approach was when they did my uterine cavity evaluation. Um, they found what was either a small uterine septum or some residual scarring to scar tissue from probably the DNC. Um, and so that piece of it required like a surgical intervention to, to, to remove all of that. Oh, so you had surgery scheduled too. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then like after that, you know, even and the surgeon that performed it, it, because my doctor didn't perform the, didn't, she didn't practice those procedures. And so I went to, you know, somebody that she recommended to do the, the surgery and he was an, you know, an RE in another part of the city. And afterwards they were both like, okay, great. Like there's nothing to, you, this should be no problem now, basically. Like I have no, we have no worries. Famous last words. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, So we, we did uh, our first pregnancy with that doctor after all of like these tests and kind of medical and surgical interventions um, was, I always love when it's called like a natural cycle like natural with all of these medical interventions. I, uh, I, I kill, it kills me on a lot of like the social media groups. They're like, I want to find a place that will allow me to do a natural cycle. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. I don't think that word means what you think it means. I'm, exactly. It's totally that you're like, this is so unnatural. And they're, you're like, you're, you know, this is exactly when you guys need to have sex. And you're like, okay, this feels really natural. <laughs> totally natural. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> um, so we did a natural cycle uh, and got pregnant and um, was taking all of the, you know, all the pills, all the shots. Um, 
and lost that one. Um, yeah, it was, it was very... You're like, was, we fixed everything. I know. Right? It, that one was a, a, a... That one was rough uh, it, for that exact reason. It's like yeah. we put in so much effort and um, physical... It was very physically intense to like be taking all those things and... and you're like, but I'm doing all this because they said it's going to work and it didn't. And that was a very, that was, that was a a hard, hard loss psychologically um, because of that additional context. Yeah. And, and if I may ask, how, how far did you discover that loss and, and all of that? Because again, you have very two different experiences so far as to where they were lost. So that one, I knew that we were miscarrying really early, but because um, I was being so closely monitored, so like I had like so closely monitored by by blood tests, but also by ultrasound. And so my my levels were rising, and it seemed like that was going okay. But then when we looked on the ultrasound, like it was it was another blighted ovum. It was another point where like it just didn't look normal on the ultrasound and so um I knew pretty early on that it wasn't going to progress um and for that loss I I opted to um have it be medically managed so I didn't want to go through another surgery because I had done the DNC I had had the you know correction to remove the scar tissue I was like I don't I don't want to do that piece again um and so I was like well I'll, I'll just try try the pills why not you know like right. <laughs> might as well feel number, all the let's try door number right. three yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> which door should we take yeah and um, again are you still are you still sharing with your family are you getting support but i imagine everyone around you was feeling pretty helpless too yeah i my family so and my and when i say my family it's like mom dad my sister um i had a couple i had, I had a couple very still have a couple really close girlfriends that are sort of like sisters as well. And so that was the, my husband's family, Ben's family kind of knew what was going on. Like the people that we were in regular close communication with were all aware of this. Um, but that, that was it. I, it's, it's so, it's so funny. I'll I'll divert for a second, but it's so funny given the work that I do now and I'm, very much in this social infertility community online and, um, and support and advocacy groups. I never sought that out when I was going through this myself. I was actually going to ask that because I know, because we met through via resolve, right? (laughs) This is how you and I met, ran into each other. Yeah. And it's, it's, so I don't, you know, I wish I could explain it. And I, and I think about this a lot because I'm like, how would I have found myself? You know, I, I think it's not that I didn't know about Resolve because Resolve comes up on Google searches when you're like, you know, Googling these terms. But I think at that point still, I was like, well, this isn't the group for me. I don't have infertility because to me it was like, well, infertility means you can't get pregnant. And I was getting pregnant. So I was like, well, I don't have infertility. This isn't like, this isn't my community. And then when it was, and then it was like, well, do you, you know, I had, I, I will say like there, I was given information about pregnancy loss groups. And I just was like, I don't want to, for me, 
my grief felt too personal. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I wish that somebody had maybe just like held my hand and, and taken me with them to one of those. Cause I think mm-hmm. it would have been really supportive, yeah. but at the mm-hmm. moment that I was making the decision for myself, it felt like, I don't want to talk to anybody else. I don't want to hear anybody else's stories. I am holding myself together with all of my energy. I have no space for anybody else. Right. Um, right. So I couldn't even fathom the idea that that might allow other people to like hold some of it for me. Like it just, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's hard when you're in that moment, you, you have no way to peek outside of that lens. And right. unless there's somebody who would be experienced in guiding you through that, which wouldn't, would have meant that your, you know, friends, your support team around you would have also had to have gone through that and also known that those resources existed and would be helpful too. And it, when you're already part of a tiny group, it's hard to know that, right. that those things are, are real and true and what, what you could need. Right. So. Oh, so what next now? So we're at loss number three. Yeah. So what next is um, my husband and I moved from Chicago to Seattle. So that summer um, we like he took a, a job in Seattle. So our entire life transitioned um, out to the West Coast. And what that meant was establishing care with a new clinic um, yep. in Seattle. My, my so, favorite thing to advocate for, continuity of care. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so there, you know, then that was a, a process. Um, but got into a clinic out here and sat down with my new doctor and, and, I will say because of everything that we put into that third pregnancy, I very, I remember my first appointment with her and I was like, I don't know how much more I have in me. Like, even at that point, I was like, let's talk about what all the possible alternative options are because I feel spent. And she said, I hear that. Um, I've looked at all your charts. She, she's like, I, I believe that your body is capable of doing this. And I think that there are some things that are still in the toolbox to try. Um, and, and like to her credit, like, she's like, I'll let you know, um, when I think that it might be an appropriate time to consider alternatives. And I was like, okay, you know, and so her recommendation, um, was that we do uh, IVF and we test the embryos. She's like, you didn't test any of your pregnancies, so you have no way of knowing if the losses were maybe just caused by chromosomal issues, Mm -hmm. and we can screen for that. And I was like, it's funny. I want to be very clear, like, because now that I'm I'm through this and um, and I've done more thinking about it, like, I think a lot of people that have recurrent miscarriages get to this point and if they are seeing a fertility doctor and they're like, great, just take away all the variables. And it is a really sensical course of treatment for some people based on their like stage of life and medical history. But it's not like, it's also not like the recommended course of treatment, right? Like I was doing the immunology. That's like not the standard, but neither is, neither is IVF for recurrent pregnancy loss. So like all of this is non-standard, right? Right. 
Um, What's the standard? It's a lot. It's a lot of just like the, the medical stuff, right? Like the ASRM recommendations, it's test your thyroid, test your prolactin levels, do a uterine cavity evaluation. Um, if you have antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a um, immunological condition that uh, makes you more uh, predisposed for blood clotting, then, you know, apply some anticoagula- like anticoagulants. Um, and, and that's about it. Like all of the immune, immune protocols, all of the kind of IVF protocols, those are all, I'm not saying there's anything like right or wrong with them, but they're not part of right now what's like the standard recommend recommendation from the societies. But you had already done, you, you did all the standard yeah, things, totally. right? So it was like the standard then. Yeah, what else? exactly. Um, so yeah, so I was like, okay, and and at that and like you know, it's like you get into this place and you're like, whatever, I'm just gonna whatever you tell me to do, I'm gonna do. Just like get me pregnant and keep me. Pregnant. I, which is where <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of like the who's being taken advantage of in these situations. I've heard a lot of debates about this, right? Because you're in desperation mode for a pregnancy at that point. <gasps> totally. So I was like, yes, fine. You want me to do that? I will do it. Great. Um, in between when I had that first appointment and when I started the um, IVF process um, my husband and I got pregnant naturally Um, and and you're like yay but also now I'm terrified totally Um, and we lost that pregnancy relatively early probably five or six weeks and lost that one naturally Um, so it was sort of this weird, like, blip in the middle. Sometimes I, like, forget that that even happened. Because um, in the middle of all this, it seems like such an aberration. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, like, oh, this can happen without a whole bunch of planning? I forgot. <laughs> You're right. Um, uh, so, yeah, we did, we, you know, we did the egg retrieval. We made our embryos. We had the embryos tested. Um and we had a really did, successful retrieval. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I was wondering. Like, did, were all the embryos chromosomally oh, normal? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I mean, they're like, not, okay, this is the issue. Yeah, no. That I, I My reaction was like, this clearly wasn't the issue. And maybe, I don't know. I haven't spent as much time comparing. At the end of the day, we ended up with seven chromosomally normal embryos, um, which. Which is good. Yeah. I was pretty, pretty happy about um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, so we, we moved forward. Yeah. We did, uh, we did a transfer. Um, our first transfer, it was like, it was October of, um, 2018. I think that that was like October of 2018 and got pregnant. Um, I mean, that's so amazing we, that you haven't had any kind of like inability to get pregnant, failed transfer. It's all right. And I got pregnant. Yeah, exactly. It's like my, my body is like great at getting pregnant. It just not so great at staying that way. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, when you're going through any kind of fertility treatment, you're really closely monitored. So with all these things, it's hard to know like how long it would have been if I had just let things happen as they would have happened. Um, we knew, 
relatively early that it, it probably wasn't going to progress. Um, actually, no, that's not even true. I'm thinking about a different, I'm, I'm thinking like, about there's the, so many, <laughs> so yeah. many, I know, right? You're yeah. like, ah. Oh. No, I, you know what? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, no, wait, that's not true. Um, we did the double, that was with the fourth pregnancy as they called me and they're like, you're going to, which is why it's like a blip in the radar. Cause I don't really remember it. It was the fourth pregnancy that they called me back and they're like, your blood, your blood levels aren't rising. Like this is probably going to result in a loss, which is exactly what happened with the fifth one. My levels were rising and I, I had to go back to Chicago. I was in Chicago for work. I was staying at my sister's house. Um, nothing to indicate that there was anything going wrong. And I woke up in the middle of the night and went to the bathroom and it was like, Oh crap. Uh, yeah. Um, so that there's nothing they could do at that point. It's not like there was anything that they could give me to like right. sustain it. So, um, yeah. that, you know, if I think about, the third one being like all the medical interventions, all the surgeries finally get pregnant. And you're like, great, this is what's promised to work. Um, this is the same one, right? It's like, okay, now we went through this entire like retrieval process. We went through all of the protocols and the implantation, right. like, because this is what's supposed to do it. You know, we, yeah. we know that it's not a chromosomal issue. And, and so, yeah, exactly. And so, like if I could tell myself this story that like maybe up until now it had been a genetic issue. Now it was like, no, this is just my body. Like, it, I don't know. There was a deeper level of anger at my. And I was about body. to ask about the emotion part. Cause I can hear it in your voice. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like the, the, how much frustration and anger were you personally dealing with at your, at yourself, whether, whether rightly or wrongly, which I think is, you know, wrong to, to blame yourself for anything in that case. But I mean, your feelings are still valid in that moment. Right. Yeah. No, I was, I was, I mean, I, st I still don't know if I've like fully forgiven my body. <laughs> I would work on it, oh. but yeah, it feels so, it, it feels like this betrayal of, your body to your soul. I don't know. You know, you're like, come on, we're, I'm doing everything. This is what you were built to do. This is why you endured having periods. Like <laughs> this is why, yeah. you know, like, um, yeah, I was very angry and I was really hopeless. I think I, at that point it was, it was really hard to find any, lingering hope that mm -hmm. this was going to work out for us and that we were going to be, be parents. Um, right. and at, at, at that point, I remember, I don't know exactly when it was, but I know I told my husband at some point, it was like, I think I can try one more time. Um, I wasn't sure how many more after that, but I was like, I, I, I can try this part, this IVF transfer part. I can, I can do this again. Um, but also at that point we started to have conversations with other families that had built their family differently. Yeah. So we talked to some, uh, couples who had built their family through adoption. I talked to some people who had built their family through surrogacy. It was just, a, at that point it was like, 
I have a little bit of gas left in the tank, but mm-hmm. I have not a lot of hope that this is going to work for us. So yeah. I, let me start thinking about what are potential different paths. And you had said your doctor had said that it would be honest at that point. I mean, what were they saying in that time frame too? I mean, she was, so, um, she, there was, one of the things with that transfer is like my lining had never gotten very thick. Like it met that, it was like eight millimeter. Met the threshold, yeah. Yeah, it did, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't like great looking. And so one of the things she had said was like, let's try a different protocol that is actually less interventions and let's see if your body can, you know, if your natural hormones do a better job helping to thicken your lining. And so she, you know, she was like, her, what I took away from it was like, there, we can, we can tinker with this, like this, more like this isn't on you. This is maybe on the, the preparation piece, you know, um, which I was like, okay, great. You know, like, okay. (laughs) Right. Again, one more, like, this is like that, you know, you're bargaining with yourself, right? It's Mm -hmm. that moment of like, Hey, somebody gave me yet one more thing to bargain in my head with. Exactly. Exactly. And like, you know, I, I, and I was doing, you know, it's like, okay, do acupuncture, you know, like all the things that you're like, okay, there's maybe more supportive things that I can do for myself. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we took a little bit of a break, um, some deliberate and some forced because we, we were like coming, you know, that, that, that loss had happened, um, in kind of October, November timeframe. And then, um, our, the lab closed in, in January, you know, it was like one of those, right. there pandemic, was, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Um, well not pandemic yet. This was oh, still, okay. this was no, still it's FDA closures every year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we did a transfer at the beginning of the new year. Um, and you know, it, it looked okay. Like we, we, um, got pregnant and seemed to be moving along. Okay. Um, I, it was, this was sort of similar to the second loss. Like I started spotting. And so I was like, F like, (laughs) what the F? Um, (laughs) and I went and so I went into the clinic almost a hundred percent positive that I had lost the pregnancy. And she did an ultrasound and was like, no, there's the, there's the baby. Look, you can see the heartbeat. Um, And I was like, oh, whoa. And she's like, I don't see any um, evidence of, you know, uh, like where this bleed is coming from. This sometimes like, you know, people bleed in pregnancy. Like it's not outside the realm of possibilities that that would just be a totally normal pregnancy symptom. We talk about subchorionic hemorrhages a lot. Yes. All the time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, the, the nurse was like, look, look there, there it is. It's, it's right there. There's the heartbeat, you know, like, and so we went home and we were like, oh my gosh, fantastic. Um, and nothing happened. I stopped bleeding. Um, and so we had, we had, a nine-week appointment with our fertility clinic. It was supposed to be the 
it, it was like, I don't know, maybe half a week later. So three or four days later. And she's like, do you want to keep the appointment? And I said, yeah, I would like to keep the appointment. Um, so we went Just home. For reassurance and then, sake. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Three or four days later. And that was the appointment that was supposed to be like the graduation point from the fertility clinic. Yeah. Right. Um, and we went in for that next ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. Like it would just, it had stopped. Um, and it, that was like, I mean, I can like remember the room and like the, I mean, it was, it was just, it was devastating. It was, you'd let yourself hope. It was absolutely devastating. And, um, and my doctor came in and, you know, she, 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 she has an excellent bedside manner. Um, and, and that was the point. She's like, you know, you, you have tried so hard. You have done everything. Like, this is not your fault. And, and that was the point at which she did say to me, she's like, you know, I, I still, and, she, and we've had like follow-up conversations since then. She's like, I still fundamentally believe that your body is capable of having a successful pregnancy but I totally support you in moving on to other options at this point. Yeah. Got it. Um, so it was like, okay, I, I just, I was done. Yeah. <laughs> People often ask like, how do you know when it's time to move on? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just, it, there was like a lack of ambiguity about it. It was, yeah. you just knew. Yeah. Yeah. So. So what did done look like? I mean, I know we partially led with it at the beginning, but what did done with that chapter look like for you? Um, so there were a couple things. I mean, it, it took like a kind of a while to like unpack everything. I pretty quickly after that reached out to a, um, a surrogacy agency in the area that I was living uh, just for kind of an initial conversation and to learn about the process. That was a, it was a really hard call. Like, I mean, I think, yeah. that, which I'm sure that the people that are doing this are so used to because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not getting people that, this isn't like their first stop. They're like, I've been through I, I say that all the time. <laughs> I say, you're not calling me because you, because you're excited to talk to me. Like, I get it. I am like absolutely last stop on the train. I know that when people call me. <laughs> Right. I know. And I remember at one point, like it was, it was a man that we were talking to and he's like telling me the statistics of the likelihood that it will work out. And I was like, do not talk to me about statistics. (laughs) I have been burned by statistics. (laughs) Um, So I, I really like slow played it. I, I wasn't, you know, we had that call that was probably in like, you know, Q1 of 2019 And I didn't, I don't think we kind of like really moved forward with them until like, I don't know, maybe six months later. Like I just wasn't. Um, Can I, can I interject that that's actually really normal? Um, Because I know people get really, I I get a lot of calls back as an agency that they're like, I'm so sorry. It took me, you know, six months. And I'm like, it's super super normal for people to go through that because you you have to have those first conversations and then you have to take time to regroup and lick your wounds so I just want to throw that out there for everybody that it is really normal if it takes a long time to be able to move on to that point oh well that thank you actually that's very normalizing (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, it's you, you did exactly like a ton of people do. You're, you're good. You were normal there. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and then like, also, you know, for me, there was a lot of, I really wanted to get off a lot of the supportive medications that I had been taking. I, I really, I felt like there, there was just a, I don't know, there's an element of like having to take this handful of pills every day that just makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. And so a lot of this other piece was like, okay, I want to, I want to stop taking all of these. Like, how do I, and so there was like that piece of it too, of like working with my doctors to go off of a lot of those like hormonal medications and making sure that that wasn't going to be problematic in any way. Right. Um, yeah. So then, I mean, this is like, this is 2019. I was still working, but I was like emotionally kind of recovering from all of this. And that, um, end of 2019 is when I left my job and 2019 is when we, so it's like we incorporated our nonprofit. I left my job and then I started working on the organization and started to kind of slowly move forward with the surrogacy process. So it was just a huge, like, transitions of many parts of my life. I say lots, lots of changes in there in that moment. And I, talk to us about the, the organization first, because I think that, I mean, I think both pieces probably have an element of, of healing to where you are today, but I think that sounds like that was a big piece for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you have all this, like, stuff, this pain, these thoughts, this experience, and you want to turn it into something useful and positive. And I think a lot of people feel that compulsion. And so um, my husband and I talked about a lot of things. I was like, well, do we, you know, do we write a book? Do we, um, like, do we just become really involved in advocacy? Like, what do we do with this? And I said, you know, what I really want is to, like, find answers. Because for, for us, you know, there wasn't anything left to offer. Like, we, it wasn't clear why we continued to miscarry. It, it's not like at the end of this, it's like, oh, well, it's because this thing didn't happen for you. There is no clear reason. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what was... I think that's what kept us going for so long is like, well, we'll keep trying because there's no reason. Um, and that's what's so frustrating at the end where it, it feels like this cruelty from the universe. Cause there's you like, why is this happening if there's nothing that's causing this? Um, and so we founded the organization really to, to find those answers, right. To say, Hey, what can, how can, we explain these things. How can we help people move, move along quicker on their journey? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the core part of our mission. We really wanted it to be research focused and we wanted it to be patient centered, right? We wanted this to be the organization that it's like, I, I truly do think that there's a huge amount of power that comes from the kind of patient community coming together and saying, Hey, we're really invested in trying to find answers for ourselves. Um, And how can we work with you doctors and scientists to do this? Um, And so that's the hope of RPLA, you know, is that 
through this work, we'll have better diagnostics and um, better better protocols or better, you know, um, better therapies. Uh, so that people don't have to go through six years and six losses and ultimately <laughs> a third party to yeah. right. have their family. <laughs> right. And, how, and oh, how is that going? So are you guys raising money and then giving out grants for research or how is that operation mm-hmm. going? Yeah. So we, uh, yes, it's going really well. Um, I mean, we're still young in the world of nonprofits, right? We're still only in our third year of operations here. Um, and we are, and a lot of our work has to do with um, providing support. You know, we have a monthly support group for recurrent pregnancy loss specifically. We're doing a lot of just putting out information because it, it can be hard to find um, un, unbiased information about recurrent pregnancy loss, like, and, and even the sites that do it, it ends up being like one paragraph at the end. It's like, sometimes you have multiple miscarriages and it can be caused by these eight things. And you're like, well, now I have to go research eight different things. So we've tried to put a lot of information on our website to help people understand what might be going on. Um, and then from a scientific perspective, we've done a couple things. So we, we have a grant program that we have, uh, launched in partnership with ASRM, um, and we actually just the first award was the awardee was just announced. So we're giving Yay. our first research grant to um, a PhD uh, at University of Utah who's looking at he's going to do some like whole genome sequencing and try to identify uh, potential genetic causes of recurrent pregnancy loss. Cool, amazing, um, and then. We have launched, in March this year, we launched a, the RPL Community Registry. So this is something that anybody can join, regardless of what stage of their like, life they're in. They don't have to be trying to conceive. It, this could have happened to them years ago. Um, so it's open to anyone over 18 who has had two or more pregnancy losses, and you sign up. It's completely confidential. It's like HIPAA compliant. It meets all the global data privacy standards and you answer health surveys. And the hope is that then by taking this information from a huge pool of people, we can start to maybe break it down and identify similarities. So the the idea is that you get this pooled data set that can help researchers ask better questions or um, conduct focused analyses. That's exciting. I, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, obviously we have a little bit of a, a bifurcation that we, that we had to talk about that. Yeah. Talk about where your family journey, your family building journey went from that point. Cause you said you talked to a surrogacy agency and we left, we left on a cliffhanger there. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we, I, I think that this is probably normal. I, it's, it's interesting looking back on it because I was not excited about doing this. It's not like I was really, it, there was no excitement about moving forward with surrogacy. It was resignation, exclusively resignation. Like this is what I have to do now. Right. Um, and so we, we like created our profile and I, I think that different agencies do it differently. So we like created our profile, we gave it to them. Um, 
And the way that it worked for us is we didn't get like options of people. They give you one profile at a time to kind of consider and say yes or no. Um, That's pretty normal. Okay. So we were given this profile. Um, she looked great. We sat down for that first conversation. Um, we, and everybody agreed to move forward. Um, she was evaluated by the doctor. Uh, we like, you know, did all the contracting. Um, and she started all of her protocols and she had been kind of texting me and keeping me informed as she was getting ready for the transfer. Like, Hey, when you were going through this, did you feel this way? Did you feel this way? You know, asking these kind of questions that were, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel great on all the hormones. Like we were having, but it seemed like maybe there was something else going on. Um, and she ended up having to pull out of the agreement uh, a oh. week before the scheduled transfer date. Oh, no. Oh, wow. For medical reasons? For medical reasons. Oh, wow. So, oh, my yes, That is unusual. It is unusual. And, and, I mean, like, no fault of her own. As it turned out, um, she had an underlying autoimmune illness that she oh, wow. didn't know about that Whoa. didn't show up in any of her health history. And I don't know what it was that triggered it, but, um, I mean, it, like looking back, it's a great, right? Like the pregnancy might've been really not good for her. Like it, you know, everything happened yeah. as it, as it appropriately should have, but that was rough because yeah. we're a week before the transfer. Like it, it was like, Ah, this too? No. Right. <laughs> right. Uh... <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so it was like. And you're like, probability told me this would be right. right. You're like, why did you talk to me about statistics? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and so the the agency rematched us really quickly. Um, I think we, I, I don't know. I think we got bumped to like the top of the list. <laughs> but. Um, Luckily, we were, there was a, a new p- proposed match sent to us probably within four to six weeks. Um, and we had a sit down with this new couple. And uh, I was, it's so, it's, it's, I say this now because our relationship has changed so much. But like in that first meeting, like I was so closed off. Like I was like, you know, fool me once. But sure. we are keeping an arm's length distance. You know, like, this will be a transactional relationship. You seem like a fine person. I'm okay to move forward. You know, like, it was very right. unemotional. Um, and so we did. We, we signed the agreement with this new woman um, and, again, went through the, the medical evaluation um, and, and now this is all in COVID time, right? Like all of this is now right. happening in lockdown. So all of my interaction with her is, is virtual. Um, you know, I wasn't able to. Which is even harder anyway, right. on, you know, on top of that. And everybody's scared about COVID and a million other things, emotions right. too. Right. So, you know, we, she, everything worked well for her, but like we weren't allowed to be in the tran- in the room for the transfer, you know, it, it, like all of these things. And so it was easy to keep her at arm's length in a way. Mm. Um, but 
she's just like this person that is impossible not to adore. I don't know. She's just, she's like a <laughs> ball of sunshine. I just like, I love it. It's you know you're like I don't want to be I don't want to like you, <laughs> right? But oh. but over the course of um, her pregnancy and and um, I will say over the course of her pregnancy, like I started to you know have more and more interactions with her. Um, they actually live really close to us. So even though it was COVID, we were able to separate from all of the medical pieces, um, socialize with them safely. Um, so we got to know her, got to know her partner, got to know her son, um, and just started to really slowly develop this relationship with her as she was pregnant. Um, and COVID restrictions started to lessen a little bit. So, like, we weren't able to go to any of the early appointments, but we did get to go to the 20-week ultrasound, um, which was lovely. It, and I, I will say, at what point emotionally, and given how far your pregnancies went yourself, when did you let you, your guard down? I'm always just curious about that, because it is different for every person. If ever. Right? Let if my ever, guard down exactly. about that the pregnancy was going to work the out. the pregnancy was going to work out. Um, when I was holding the baby. I, <laughs> I, I think that's an okay answer, too. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No, I, like, never. I mean, just never. <laughs> I know it was, there was always a, always a worry that it she wasn't was going to work drop. out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, my, what I will say, so we like slowly, we slowly developed this like kind of friendship over the course of her pregnancy. But I will also say that there was a moment that it happened. Like I had never been in a labor, you know, I have plenty of friends that have babies. Um, my sister has three kids, like, but I had never actually been, um, in a delivery room or seen a woman labor. And that experience for me, it's powerful. I mean, it was powerful and emotional because like my, my daughter was birthed. So separate from that though, like watching her go through this was so impressive from the perspective of like being another woman, but also it was so clear to me how altruistic this was for her. Like, yes, she's getting compensated for doing this, but like she is doing this because she wants to help us build a family. And it just, mm-hmm. I cannot, it was like this flip switch. Like if before I was like, oh, she's a friend, like at that moment it was like, and now you're a family. Now you are part of my mm-hmm family. I, I, it just, I was so moved by it. <laughs> and, um, I love that. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I say this now cause it, it sounds like a lifetime movie. Like this is no joke. Like she is my nanny. She watches my daughter four days a week. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. <laughs> like she is like, when I say like she's family, like that is how I feel about her. <laughs> I just, I would never, never in a million years would I have thought that this is the relationship that I would have developed with this woman, yeah. ever. Um, yeah. 
and I and it doesn't always work out that way. Like I I now I've talked to a lot of people that you know they had a, a fine surrogacy experience and they no longer really have a relationship with the the woman that that carried their child. So this isn't you know rightly or wrongly like everybody every two individuals form their own unique relationship but um and not everybody lives close really to special. each other and yeah, yeah a million other things yeah they can yeah. be variables in those relationships yeah um but no it's uh, it's been really remarkable um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like i mean what an a horrible <laughs> but amazing amazing story you know yeah. i mean the, the the what it took to get here and i mean quite honestly the fact that you were able to take your your pain and turn it into what will hopefully be hugely beneficial for a lot of people to come is amazing thank you and it's going been, yeah, yeah go ahead oh well going back to that tell listeners what they can do to support the recurrent pregnancy loss association Yes. And we'll link to it. <laughs> so uh, a couple things. If you uh, personally have experienced two or more pregnancy losses at any stage, um, firstly, I'm really sorry because that sucks. Um, but secondly, I would encourage anybody that has had that experience to join the RPL Community Registry. Um, it's free. The sign-up takes five minutes. Um, the surveys, each survey takes between five and ten minutes to complete. You can do it. You don't have to do it all at once. Um, so join the RPL Community Registry and allow your story to potentially help us find causes for this so that it doesn't have to happen. Um, and then the other thing is if you want to support our work, um, consider making a donation, right? We are completely volunteer led. We have no staff. Um, and all, everything that we do is, is paid for by individual contributions. So, um, I would ask if you're able, and this is a mission that resonates with you to support us financially. Those are the two biggest things that you can do to help. Awesome. And we'll have those links. So listeners check out the links to where you can share your stories if you fit in that category or donate if you fit in that and, category of wanting to give. And also I will just on the side and we didn't even get to talk about this, but I think we're running on time. <laughs> but <laughs> um, if anybody is interested, Megan is also a really incredible writer. And I mean, I personally, your voice and the way you write really resonates with me. Um, and if you Thank go you. peek and I'll tell you the way to get there. If you go peek on her bio, there's a link um, on her website. You can go click over into her um, into her blog, and it's really, I mean, beautiful and well thought out the way the way you express yourself. So I I appreciate it, and I think that might make a lot of other people not feel so alone too. So definitely go check that out too. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you saying that. I yeah. it's it's been healing to write for me, so I, I'm glad it's helped other people as well. Absolutely, and I hope we've helped other people by you being able to tell your story and we we really appreciate that that you were willing to be so open with us so so thank you for coming and talking to us today thank you well thank you guys so much for the work that that you do and for helping um helping everybody normalize these things and and make them feel not so alone 
thank you to Megan Hansen for sharing such a personal and touching story at points too, but I definitely had my, my tissues out. Um, if you get the chance, check out recurrent pregnancy loss association. And for those who feel moved to do so, please donate, um, help in any way you can. Yeah. Or, I mean, again, I think she had some great ways that even if you don't have the financial means, if you can add to their database of knowledge, I think that is also so incredible that, that it's such a simple step that people who are going through the same thing can, can help that wider community. So thank you as always to everybody who um, listens to us. We, we still love when we hear from you. Uh, give us a call at 303-997-1903. I, I, I'm still waiting for, for you all to call and leave me ridiculous messages. Come on, I, I'm waiting. I, I, need to, I need those ridiculous messages. What, they make what's me, the number make again? Hold on, I'm getting it, a pen. Tell me the number. Okay, 303-997-1903. Nine zero three, please, please, please give, give us a call. I say now. I know you're going to prank call me next. So, sure. <laughs> um, but we do appreciate all of you who listen and who contribute. Uh, obviously, who leave us iTunes reviews. Huge thank you to our team, to Tyler, to Melissa, to Amanda, to everybody who is out there to Janelle. Janelle I was like I'm gonna forget her one more I was like ah, this is the problem with thanking people you forget somebody all the time right um but most of all thank you to all of you who listen and come back and be part of our community